the sons of the prophets, they said to Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. In other words, that it's, it's too small for us. We don't typically use that phrasing, but too straight. But they said that the place where we're at is too small. Let us go, we pray, thee unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And Elisha answers them, and he says, Go ye. And one of them said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. And so he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down some wood. And as one of them was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried, and he said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. The man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick, and he cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Amen. Everybody say, the iron did swim. Therefore said he, take it up to thee, and he put out his hand, and he took it. I just want to talk here today about the generation of a double portion. A generation of a double portion. I wonder if we, if we could just bow our heads here again today. And I just want to lift up the name of the Lord once again. If the Lord could just speak to us in this place right now. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for meeting us, Lord, so spectacularly already here today. Lord, your presence moved into this place, Lord. And I feel, Lord, the comfort of your presence, Lord. But I also feel, Lord, the empowering spirit that is here in this place right now. Lord, I pray that you would impart something to us here today, Lord, that we could grab a hold of it, that we could be changed by it. Lord, let your word change us. Lord, let it form us. Let it move us into a place, God, that you are trying to push us and prod us and pull us into, Lord, that you're inviting us into today. Lord, I pray that anything that would come and try to speak against your word, Lord, that would try to hinder your word, Lord, that it could be removed out of this place right now. Lord, remove any hindrance. This place, Lord, let your word be settled in our hearts, be settled in us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe in order for us to truly understand the context uh, of, of this, to, to really understand the dimension of what is happening in this, this text that we read today, we need to get a fuller understanding of the context of what was taking place. You see, leading up to this, we find Israel in a backslidden state. We find them in a place where they were moving in the opposite direction of God. And they, they had started as a unified kingdom. They had started as, as one. And, and they remained one under Saul and under David and under Solomon. But under Solomon's son, the, the kingdom that God had called to be his kingdom, it split, it divided. From there, we see them slowly descending into the traditions of those that surrounded them. We see them falling into idolatry and into Baal worship and the worship of Ashtaroth and the, the gods of the groves. And they would go and they would worship in all of these places that God did not approve of. We find the nation of Israel itself, they stopped 
going to Jerusalem and they constructed their own place to worship. They built golden calves and they would go and they would worship these golden calves. See, they just did this out of duty. They didn't, uh, they, they may have called themselves the people of God, but they truly were not the people of God. When religion is all you have left, then your relationship with God is gone. When, when you just do what you do just because you're supposed to do it, and it become, your, your spirit will become very dull. You, you're gonna have a whole lot of gaps that are going to need to be filled in with something. And if you are not plugged into the things of God, if you're not plugged into the voice of God, then there's gonna be a Jezebel that will come in and it will fill some gaps. And that's exactly what happened when you have the King Ahab who stepped in. And Ahab, he started out as not such a bad man, but, but he became king and he, he wanted to do the right things. And many times, though he was captivated by those around him, the, the Zidonians that were around him, he began to be captivated by them and he tried to make alliances with them and he was seduced by his neighboring countries and, and we see Ahab in, in this, um, in this desire to expand his kingdom. He marries a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel apparently was a, a very beautiful woman, but it was, it was more than just her beauty because, uh, it, it, it was, it, she was, she was a, a woman of great power. She was a woman who her father was, was a man that was a very spiritual man, but not of, of godly, uh, accounts. She, he was a, he was a warlock. He was a, a man that was deeply involved in witchcraft as well as what he, as, as what she became. And so she was very trained in the dark arts. She was trained in, 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 she was completely sold out to her witchcraft. She was completely 100% sold out to the occult. She was completely sold out to her idolatry. And so what you end up getting when you have a nation that's already been sliding away and, and getting further and further from God and then they become complacent. They, they don't know exactly. They're not tied to any kind of truth. And, and when you have that, you become open to receiving something that, uh, it will manipulate you. It will, it will bring you to a, a place that is sensational, but it's not the sensation that God wants to, wants you to have. You'll, you'll be appealed. You can be appealed, uh, by, by things that happen in this world. And it looks as if it is incredible. And that's, uh, but, 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 and that's what Jezebel brought. See, Jezebel was completely 100% committed to her agenda. And you find that Ahab, he doesn't know what he believes. And so the kingdom is just, it's, it's just mush. And she plows through the kingdom of Israel. She begins to, to, kill all of the prophets of God. She goes and she, she sets up the groves and she sets up the, the Ashtaroth poles and she sets up the, uh, the, the, the places where they could worship Baal and, and, uh, the, the, this nation that had already been going that direction becomes completely entrenched in the ways of Jezebel, this woman who was completely sold out to the occult. And they're swayed. 
This, this spiritual, she has a spiritual element, but it's demonic. It's not of God. And so the only supernatural that they are seeing is flowing out of Jezebel. It's flowing out of her agenda because they've lost the supernatural dimension of the spirit in the kingdom of God. It's just become routine. Their worship of God has just become routine. And you see, in America today, in the world today, we see a people that, that they are entranced by the magic around them. And you see, you see today that, that celebrate Harry Potter. We celebrate Loki. We celebrate all these other characters that have all of this magic. You, you have today in popular, it's, it's, it's popular in the teen culture today, horoscopes and, and all these, uh, other things that, uh, that they want to get into to, to get into the supernatural. And it's, it, that is an indictment on the church. If, if the only thing that they are finding in the supernatural is coming from the world, then that's an indictment on us because there ought to be some supernatural that they can look to the church and say, I see something that, that, that I want to cling to. I see something that I want to come to on the church ought to be a place where the, the world can come and they can find something beyond the natural order of the world. And we find it's okay. Find it's okay to talk about demons and witches and warlocks as long as it's some, with some kind of cool backgrounds and, and all this things that the, you know, the Hollywood can put behind it and it's, it's alright. But if you truly want the supernatural, if you truly want the presence of God, come on, then, then we need to get rid of all of that and get, get rid of being comfortable with the things that are coming from the pit of hell and say, God, I want to see your hand at work. God, I want to see you coming in and doing the work that only you can. Lord, if this world is searching for something that can bring about change, Lord, then I want the change to come from you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something today that the church, this church stands diametrically opposed to all of the things that are sliding away from the world. I don't want, or sliding away from God. I don't want anything to do with the world. We are 100% committed to the kingdom of God. We are 100% committed to the things of God right now, right here, right now. I want to do as Jesus said. If you love me, then keep my commandments. Be in obedience. Walk in obedience. My commitment, let my commitment be as established as Jezebel's commitment was. I am 100%, 100% committed to the things of God. Let us be 100% committed to establishing God's agenda and moving forth the will of God in what He is calling us to do today. Are we today, we are fighting a full-time devil. We can't afford to be part-time Christians today. In this battle that the, that the enemy is coming up against us, we can't be Christian atheists who just claim to believe in God, but there's no evidence to prove that God has truly changed us and transformed us. And there's a whole lot of Christian atheists today. They wouldn't identify that way themselves. But when scripture says, such were some of you, right? 
Such were some of you when, when I came in, when Jesus says, and I came in and I, trans- and I changed you and I saved you, you ought to come out. You ought to be different. I want to see the change that's been made in me. I don't want to look like the world. Let us not be like the world. Let us not be entertained by the things of the world. God, I want you. On church today, America needs a church that is salt and light. America needs a church that has the power of transformation. America needs a church that will stand up and say, I have, I serve a God who is able to bring you out. I serve a God who brought me out. I serve a God who can change, who can transform. A God who has brought us to a place of power of God who can heal. I serve a God who is still alive today. Well, I don't want to be the church who would serve God and claim to know God but deny the power of godliness. What we need today is the spirit of Elijah to come back again to arrest our attention to say, as Elijah said, who is God? Why halt you between two opinions? He came and he gathered he requested all these all these Baal worshiping prophets to come and to meet him on Mount Carmel, and he he said, "Today's the day where we're going to find out who is God. Today is the day we're going to find out is Baal God or is Jehovah God." Let's find out. Let's stand on truth today. Let's bring it down to brass tacks. Let's bring it down to the proof. Come on, let's bring it down. Let's find out what the truth is. Because I want to know today, there is only room for one God. There's not enough room for your God and this God and that God and that God. There's only one God. And so let's prove today who is God. And so Elijah stands up in the middle of his generation and he says, let's let today be the day where I I find out who God is. Well, and it's a sad commentary on Christianity when we can when when the Bible is just reduced to an opinion. When the Bible is just reduced to, you know, you can believe what you want to about it. You can believe what you want to about it, and whoever wants to believe, uh, you know, whatever they want, that that's okay. Truth is truth. Truth is truth. Come on, you can say. I don't believe in gravity. That doesn't mean gravity doesn't exist. Gravity is there. You jump off the building, you're going to fall down. Gravity is there. And when I, what, what you believe, what I believe doesn't really matter. It's about what God believes. There is truth. There is truth. Let us stand on truth. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's a law. It's the law of sin and death. But there's also another law in scripture that says that Jesus is life. Amen. And they that live in him. Come on. It takes repentance. It takes you getting up and saying, I've had enough. I'm going to walk up and I'm going to get into the house of God. I'm going to give myself completely to him. But I'm going to live in him because in him is life. Oh, we can't be seduced by the Jezebel spirit today. We can't, we can't allow the Jezebel culture around us to infiltrate into the church. On oh, enough is enough church. It's time for us to get back to an altar of sacrifice. It's time for us to get to an altar of repentance. Who 
is God in your life? Are you going to let the gods of this world to determine who is uh, what truth is? Or are you going to allow the word of God to determine what truth is? And the only way that you can really tell is how do you live? What's the evidence of truth? What's the evidence of truth? See, but if you do it, then do it with everything you've got. Do it with all of your heart. Don't desecrate the name of Jesus and just say that when you don't live it. Let's live this out. Let's, let's sell out to this. Sell out to this. So we find Elijah. And I'm still, I'm, we got a lot of context. We got a lot of backstory to this. But Elijah, he shuts up the heavens. He comes to King Ahab and he says, it's not going to rain for three years. She says, it's not going to rain until I come back and I say it's going to rain. And all of a sudden, the people were in a crisis. Sometimes there has to be some trouble that enters into your life before we recognize our need. Sometimes society has to feel a little bit of pressure before they call upon God, but thankfully they came to this point when Elijah says, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's have this side-by-side comparison. Let's have a side-by-side comparison of who is God. If Baal is God, let's serve him. If he can make fire fall down from heaven, let's serve Baal. But if Jehovah's God, then let's put him rightfully on his throne and let's tear down the altars and let's stop the Baal worship. Let's stop the idolatry. Let's stop just living whatever way that we want to live. Because if God is God, then we need to turn some things around in our life. If God is God, then I need to make some changes in my life. If God is God, and if he answers by fire, then I better do things the way that God is calling me to do things. And so he sets it up and he says, let's have this side-by-side comparison. Is God God? Or is Baal God? He who answers by fire, let him be God. So we see that the reality is that, that the truth is in the proof. Who can prove it? Whoever can prove it by fire, that's where the truth is. See, what we need today in the church is real demonstration. I believe this with my whole heart. What we need today is real miracles. What we need today is a God who comes and he can change lives. We need cancers falling off of people. We need people of drug addiction that they come and their lives are turned around. Come on, we need people who they come in and they're saying, come on, I was on this many meds and now I don't have any meds that I'm on. Well, we need people who are broken and depressed and hurting and lost. And they come in and they say, I found life. I found purpose. I found truth. I found a way forward. Oh, I need real miracles. I need to know that God is real. Oh, in this church, we need God to, to come and to demonstrate. Come on, I want that. I desire that. Come on, we need to have real things happening. Jesus said, they that follow me come. I will go with you and there will be signs following. 
There will be signs following, and I'm not chasing after all the signs because there's some other signs out there that I don't know where it comes from. But I do know that as long as God is with me, there ought to be signs following it. There ought to be demonstration of His power. There ought to be people who are set free. There ought to be healing. There ought to be those who are broken and they become whole. These signs shall follow them that believe. I'm talking to some believers today who were going to turn the tide of society by showing them that there is a God who still cares. Oh, young people, don't, don't, you, don't you turn your eyes to something else. There is a God who we can point your, your peers to. There's people, there's a God who we can point them to and say, look, my God is real. He, is, he can change your life. You may be searching for the way forward. You may be searching for your identity. But I found my identity in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about it. It has transformed me because I know that I am His and I am complete in Him. And I don't have to be confused and all messed up in my mind trying to figure out come on, who I am because I know that he made me, come on, and he made me complete and he made me whole, but I need to cling to him. So we have Elijah who comes. He stems, he stems the tide of this, this, tries to stem the tide of this, this Jezebel culture that is encroached upon the, the nation of Israel. Brings them, his goal is to, to bring the nation to a place of repentance. That was the whole reason that he set up these two altars. Or he set up the one altar, allowed them to set up theirs. He wants to bring them to a place of repentance. He wants to bring them to a place where they say, I see that there is only one God. There's one God who can answer by fire. And so after three years of no rain, Three years of no rain, we see is, is, is Elijah's building and he's constructing this altar upon Mount Carmel. Builds or digs it, digs a trench around the altar that he builds, and he asks them go and go and fill up a barrel of water and and, and bring this, this barrel of water and, and pour it on the on the sacrifice that I have. And he goes and again, 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 it's twelve barrels of water. They pour all this upon that, that sacrifice. And then it was God. Answers by fire. We see that God comes in and he, he, he completely consumes the altar. He completely consumes and licks up all of the water. And he, can, he consumes everything that is there. And they fall on their faces and they declare, this is God. This is God. So immediately after Elijah, he goes and he turns to Ahab and he says, arise, eat and drink. There's the sound of the abundance of rain. It hasn't rained in three years. He says, you better go now. I don't want the rain to stop you. He starts, Ahab goes and starts going down the mountain. Elijah, he goes in, into this, this place. He goes into this, into this birthing position that says that, that he gets down and he, he has his head between his, between his legs and he's, he's, he's the, the 
the, the birthing position at that time. And, and he's, he's there and he's, he's birthing something in the supernatural as he begins to call out to God. And, he, and he's praying to God and he's saying, Lord, bring something new to this people. Lord, bring them to a place of repentance. Bring revival in this place. Come on, this church. Come on, there ought to be some times where we get into that kind of position where we're saying, God, do something. Change something. God, I need you to turn things around. Lord, I need you to birth something new in us. Lord, so that we can go into this world and that this world can be changed. And he goes and he begins to pray. He's seeking God. God, send the rain. God, send the rain. Send the rain. And he goes, the rain's not there. And God, send the rain. Send the rain. Send the rain. The rain. Nothing's there. God, send the rain. Send the rain. Send the rain. Nothing is there. And God, send the rain. And all of a sudden, he sees a little tiny cloud the size of a man's hand. I mean, I've been praying all this time, and that's all you give me, God? Or maybe that's, what, that's probably what I would be thinking. But Elijah, he gets excited because he sees that's all that God needs. One little cloud. I've been praying for it. Lord, I've been praying for revival. I've been praying for things to change. I've been praying for things to turn around. And I see it. I see the start of it. And as long as God starts, I know that he's going to finish it. As long as God starts the work, I know that he's in it. Come on, God. I see the cloud. I see the cloud. It's coming. And he goes and he gets excited and he says, all right, I better go and tell Ahab that the rain is coming. And so it says that Elijah, after seeing the rain, he knows that after seeing the cloud, he knows the rain is coming. And all of a sudden, he bolts down the mountain. He'd already sent Ahab back to Jezreel in his chariot. And scripture says that Elijah... He is there in Jezreel and he beats the man in the chariot. This is a 12 to 16 mile uh, expanse from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. And we see Elijah outrun the chariot. He outruns the chariot to the city. And he gets there and he's waiting on Ahab. As Ahab comes into the city before he enters into his palace. Elijah is waiting there and he's wanting to tell Ahab, Ahab, let's finish what God just started on the mountain. Ahab, let's finish it. Get in there to your palace and let's finish what God started up there. God just showed us that he is God now. Let's turn this nation to a place of repentance. Let's destroy it all. I've already killed all the prophets of Baal that were up on the on Mount Carmel. But let's finish the work. Let's keep on going in this. But Ahab just bolts right on past Elijah. He goes into the palace. His wife has already heard the news. Jezebel is there and she's waiting. She says, what happened on Mount Carmel? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you weren't there, but there was, there was fire that came down. and I couldn't stop Elijah. I couldn't stop him. He, he just went. He killed all your prophets. And I'm sick of it. I, I'm going to take care of this my way. Get out of my way, Ahab. I'm going to do this my way. And so Jezebel, she goes and she sends a message to the prophet. I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you, Elijah. What you did to my prophets of Baal, I'm going to do to you. 
And all of a sudden we see Elijah. We see him in this place where he had just expended all of this spiritual energy and all of this emotions, everything into the fact that this is going to be the moment when everything changes. This is going to be the moment when everything turns around for our nation. God has been shown who he is. Who he is. Baal has been shown as a false God. But now I get the message. Everything that I thought was going to happen isn't happening the way that I thought it would. So Elijah begins to run. And as Elijah begins to run for his life because Jezebel is going to come after him, he starts running and running and running. And we find him 40 days later in a cave. He's there 40 days later. He's sitting in a cave. Now, in this place of of loneliness, this place of of wondering, God, where are you at? Elijah says, God, they've torn down your altars. They've killed all of your prophets. Now they're trying to kill me. He totally discounts everything that God had just done. Totally discounts all of that because Jezebel survived it. This was his only thought. We didn't get the final outcome that we wanted. We didn't get the ultimate change that we were after. We got a partial breakthrough, but we didn't get a total breakthrough. Come on, how many of you have ever felt that before? As you're praying for something and it says, this didn't happen completely the way that I thought it was going to happen. And you've been seeking a breakthrough and then you come to this place where you say, God, I don't know if you have anything left for me. I don't know. Maybe we're done here. Maybe we're at the end of the line. But God speaks something new to Elijah. This is this battle that you've been fighting? It's been a righteous battle. You've been doing this for good. You've been trying to get the people to a place of repentance. But I want to shift the strategies here. Elijah, all this time, has been living in fear. All this time, has been a victim. His people have been after him to try to kill him. He stood up for God. He's been running. God says, I'm going to shift the strategy. And he goes and he tells Elijah, I want you to take that mantle that you have on you, and I'm going to send you to a man. And I want you to cast that mantle upon this man who I'm sending you to. Because I want you to mentor him. I want you to begin to pour yourself into him. I want you to begin to impart some things to this next generation. I want you to begin to multiply yourself. You've been doing this yourself, Elijah. And it's time that we begin to multiply. See, what had happened was Jezebel, she had multiplied herself many times over. And this was how she was getting her agenda done. And so what God says is, what we have to do is, it can't just be one versus many. It has to be all of the church. It has to be everybody in the kingdom. It has to be the whole 
body of Christ. Come on, we all have to be empowered to go and to work together. There has to be some impartation that begins to take place. There has to be one generation that says to the next generation, you can do it. You're going to do greater things. You're going to build up and go and, and accomplish even greater things. There's going to be a better church in the future. The latter rain is greater than the former rain. The end time harvest is going to be the greatest harvest that there ever is. And you're going to be part of it. You're going to stand up and you're going to be the church. You're not just the church of tomorrow, but we're starting it today because today is the day that we're going to begin to impart some things of the supernatural into this generation. And we're going to stand up and we're going to start being the church. And when we be the church as the whole church, then this tide begins to change. See, what I got to tell you is when Elijah goes, he comes out of that cave and he brings his mantle to the man that God led him to. And it was this man named Elisha. We don't know anything about Elisha's background except to say that he found him in a field. He was a farmer. He was... Plowing the fields with his oxen and he, and he's going and, and, and Elijah finds him and he just casts his cloak upon this young man, Elisha, who's plowing in the fields. And if the farmer can do it, let me tell you, anybody can do it. If the farmer, if the farmer can begin to do the miracles, then anybody can begin to do the miracles. Lord, if God can use him, God can use you. God can raise you up right now. We're doing the same things that we've always done. We're just getting the same things which we, that we've always gotten. Well, it's just tradition. We can't continue to just do the same things over and over and over. I'm not getting away from the, from the landmarks. I'm not getting away. Come on, but we need to begin to impart to the next generation and believe. Come on, that just because mom and dad did it, just because the generation before me did it, doesn't mean that it's going to just automatically happen in the next generation. We need a generation of Elishas. We need a generation of Elishas who say, I'm going to carry this forward. I'm going to go. I'm going to do great things things. Come on, it's not just our young people, but we need a next generation of people that they will allow the Spirit of God to be imparted upon them. And they said, I'm going to take this further. I'm going to take this gospel message to this world. We're going to change some things. Come on, I was made for more. You were made for more. This world needs the church to go and to change the world. See, God said, the answer to Ahab and Jezebel is Elisha. God, I just want you to wipe them out. He says, not right now. Right now it's time to impart. The reason why so many people in the nation were sliding away is because there was no direct encounter with the supernatural Anyone who was used of God, they were only observing it through the acts of Elijah. They never felt that they could do this. So God said to Elijah, the future, the future is not about fighting every battle, putting out all the fires of the enemy yourself. Because if you try to do that, the enemy, he's going to have a whole lot of fires he's going to keep you busy with. 
when we can't just go and chase all the fires that the enemy has for us. Trying to do this all ourselves, we need to begin to pour into one another. We need to begin pouring and making disciples. One church. I'm talking about multiplication. I'm talking about multiplication that can't just be about putting out all the fires that the enemy has, and he'll set one fire after another. We need to begin to pour into one another. You need to find somebody who you say, I may not feel qualified right now. Juan, you may say this. I may not be qualified to do this, but let me just tell you what I know. Let me just begin to pray for you with what prayers I know. Let me begin to build you up. Come on, let's be here for one another. Let me break you. Let me take you under my wing and let's go on this journey together because if it's not for you, then this next generation, come on, they're not going to have a link to the supernatural. If it's not for us beginning to multiply, what God has in this church and what he set up with a hundred of a hundred or so of us who are gathered in this place. Come on, then this, this movement will die out. God says, I need you to go and make some Elishas. So what I'm saying to this church right now is that it's your responsibility not only to appeal to those who are just making up their mind, but you need to begin also pour into those who have a mind made up and to show them God he wants to do great things in you God wants to do great things in you we need a next generation who is hungry to see God do the miraculous I need somebody who will come and they will bring somebody alongside them and say I want you to lay your hands on them and pray for them I want to, I expect God to do the miraculous. Come on. We win by getting more people uh, pulling in the same direction. We win by getting more people who are getting a hold of the things of God. We win by getting people, more people who are praying and fasting. We win by getting more people who are getting an understanding of how the gifts of the Spirit operate. We, be, we win by getting a hold of the fivefold ministry that would be at work in the church. We win by getting more people who would dedicate themselves to God and discipling others and teaching Bible studies and winning souls and living a lifestyle that pleases God. Come on, it's going to take more than just me on an island. My Myself, but I gotta get an Elisha beside me and say, Come along this journey with me. Let's win. Let's fight the trenches. Let's fight in the trenches together. I'm here. Come on. We need to get somebody who would mentor a young person and say, Come on, let me come and be a prayer partner with you. Let me come alongside you and let's go and let's fight against the hell. Come on, all the things that hell is trying to throw at us. I believe that God has a church that is rising up and I believe, come on, that there is a little bit of rain that's coming. And when we begin to see a little bit of the signs, let's just begin to say, Lord, I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to walk in it. I may not have even full experience in this myself, but I believe, God, that you will show up when you see, when you begin to do a work. Hallelujah, Jesus. I gotta come to I gotta bring this to a close here soon. Elisha, what Elisha teaches us is that he teaches us that what Elijah had could be transferred 
what Elijah had in him, it was, it was possible that it could be transferred to somebody else. And that totally changed everything. They thought that there was one special man. Church, it can't just be about me. It can't just be about Brother Duffy. It can't just be about our Sunday school teachers or those who are used. God, he intends to use you. Scripture says that he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the pastors, the teachers. He gave us them for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So that the saints could begin to work in ministry. This, 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 this can be transferred. You can lay your hands on somebody and they can be healed. You can pray for somebody and they can be healed. You can pray. Come on and there is something miraculous that can happen because of your prayers. You can go and somebody can be baptized and somebody can receive the Holy Ghost because you began to take it under or upon yourself to tell them about this wonderful gospel message of salvation. You have it in you and this can be imparted in you. This cannot just stay with Within the ministry of the church. This has to get into every single one of us. See everybody had seen Elijah do it. They knew who Elijah was. They knew of him who was a recluse. And the one who was always running for his life. But when all of a sudden it got into a little farmer boy. Who he was just like me. All of a sudden something changed in them. That they said you mean Elisha can do this? That means I can do this. If Elisha can do this then I can. So what is this about a double portion? Here's, here's the principle of the double portion. We see Elisha. It says that he was plowing that field with a team of 12 oxen. I'm telling you, if you have a team of 12 oxen in that day, you are not somebody who is hurting for money. Elisha was a man, he's a, the firstborn of his, of his family. He's the one who was out there in the fields of a, he, he, he himself, according to the law. He knew the law. He, he was set, when his parents passed away, he was going to receive a double portion of his inheritance. And it would be a quite handsome inheritance. But when that mantle was put upon him, we see Elisha. See, I'm turning my back on all of this because I have a new spiritual father. God is calling me and I'm going to sell out completely. Well, that's the principle of the double portion right there. You got to sell out to it. Sell out. God, I don't care. I don't care what this world has to give me. All I want is what you have. God, I want a double portion. If you've ever prayed for a double portion, come on, you're seeking a double portion of, of, of ministry. You're just seeking a double portion of whatever God has. Come on, that it could give you. That's a good thing to seek, but it's going to take you to sell out. We see Elisha, he's sold out. 
He sold out. He was no longer was, was in line to receive his physical inheritance. Now he's going to go and he's going to receive. And he asks when the time comes. And Elijah asks him, what is it that you want from me? And Elijah says, I want to receive a double portion of what you have. See, this is what we need in this generation. We need a hunger that says, thank God for those who have gone before us. But that's not enough. This is a beautiful building, but this is not enough. It's beautiful seeing all the people and the souls that are filling these seats, but this is not enough. It's beautiful to see those who have been baptized and those who have received the Holy Ghost, but that's not enough. Oh, we need a new generation who says it's not enough. It's not enough. I have a desire and a hunger in my soul. I have something in me that is pulling me to do greater things. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this place. Come on, let me rise up and be part of the greater things. Let me rise up and go. Come on, we need a generation that rises up and says, I want to be part of the devil portion generation. I want to be part that does greater things than have ever been done before. And that's exactly what we see with Elisha's ministry. We see him take over at the, as the leader of the school of the prophets. And this is the text that we began with tonight, today, is that when he took over that school of the prophets, he wasn't the first one to have a school of the prophets. We had seen those who had gone before him. Samuel was the first one who set up these schools. Elisha or Elijah had, had been the leader of the schools of the prophets. But we have no indication under any of them that ever the school of the prophets grew. It's only under Elisha's ministry. It's only under this devil portion generation that we have a group of young people in a school, the prophets, who are, who are seeing and recognizing that what Elijah did, Elisha is now doing. And if Elisha can do it, that means I can do it. And so they come to Elisha and they say, this school is too small for us. Let's build something bigger. Let's build something greater. I have a greater vision. Come on, and when you have people who have caught that, and you have a double portion generation who have caught that burden, and they say, let's do greater things. It's not upon just the man of God who's leading the vision, then going, pushing them forward, but all of a sudden, you have a double portion generation that says, let's do greater things. I want God to do greater things. Come on, can we all stand? Can we all stand in this place? Hallelujah. Wonder could we right now could we get anybody anybody who's willing? Be 60 years or older. If you could come up, just file into the front of this altar area. What are you, 60 years or older? Just file into this altar area in the front and just face out.